Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jose in New York. Here on the behalf of the Talking Jays, we just want to thank all the veterans for their service to our country and for their sacrifice that they have made for us. Um, before we, you, we start today's episode, I just want to give you a little bit of information. Today is a very special episode. I recorded this episode with a wonderful friend from Lauer After Hours and also Midweek Menches. Her name is Ali Dawson. She is incredibly knowledgeable on racing and we will be having her back for more in-depth interview next week it should be or maybe in the within the next few weeks i'm hoping you enjoy this this special episode um she like i said is extremely knowledgeable in racing whether it's formula one open wheel or it's nascar and i hope you enjoy this particular episode and off we go gentlemen i'm jose new york i have a rather special guest for those of you who are familiar with midweek mentions or lower after hours she is the racing aficionado extraordinaire for the lower after hours her name is ali dawson ali how are you doing today i'm great thanks for having me what is it about auto racing that just fascinates you really? so a lot of I guess my generation of racing fans stems from their parents loving racing because I feel like NASCAR was in its prime in the eighties and the nineties, like hundreds of thousand people were going to races, having a good old time. So my parents were really into it, watching it. And I know this isn't a visual medium, but I have Jeff Gordon's Monte Carlo from the nineties. This is what sold me as a kid on NASCAR, the DuPont rainbow warrior. That is right. I loved this car and this paint scheme. And that's what attracted, I feel like a lot of people my age to NASCAR was that rainbow paint scheme. And the fact that um, Jeff Gordon was so marketable at that point in time, everybody loved him unless you were an Earnhardt fan because it was Jeff Gordon versus Dale Earnhardt. And it was one of the biggest rivalries in all of sports, like across whatever sport you want to mention in the, in the nineties. And that's what really tied me to it. But then when, Dale Earnhardt passed away in 2001. I kind of backed off of it just because it was just a, such a traumatic thing as a kid to see somebody you idolized and watched, even though he was your sworn enemy for your favorite driver, him get killed in that way, being traumatic. I stepped away from it and then revisited it 
um, when I was in college because Jimmy Johnson, um, he also drove for Hendrick Motorsports, the same, same team that Jeff Gordon drove for. So I fell in love with Jimmy Johnson and he was one of the most dominant athletes in whatever sport he won seven championships, which is, you know, two other two drivers have only other done that in um, history. So that's what tied me and kept me going through uh, NAS- liking NASCAR specifically. Like NASCAR is my diehard number one favorite sport um, because of drivers like Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson. And then from there, I branched off and tried the open wheel market with IndyCar and with Formula One. So I started watching IndyCar with with another traumatic event when Dan Weldon crashed and passed away in 2011. That was the first ever open wheel race that I watched because it was such a big deal. Like Dan Weldon won the Indy 500 that year in like a no-namer team. And then they gave him this offer like, hey, if you start at the back for the last race of our our season at uh, Las Vegas, um, we'll give you however many millions of dollars. And of course he starts at the back. There's a huge crash and he ends up passing away. And I'm like, oh, open wheel is super dangerous. I don't know if I'm about this life. So I stopped watching that and then got back into it because of dancing with the stars. So I loved dancing with the stars and Elio Castroneves was on it. I think in 2007, big Indy car driver. He's won multiple championships and multiple Indy 500s. He won dancing with the stars. He was a fun guy. So I kind of knew about Indy car through him but didn't watch it. Then Dan Weldon died in 2011. And then I picked it back up when James Hinchcliffe uh, was on Dancing with the Stars. He had just come off one of the worst crashes at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway whenever he was doing practice for the Indianapolis 500 in 2015. He was basically shish-kebobbed with a rebar pipe uh, from his car. And he was pretty much supposed to die, but he ended up surviving. And he came back and got the pole for Indy the next the next time he could potentially drive but then he was on dancing with the stars and i was big into dancing with the stars i'm like okay maybe i'll get back into this um and then i just started following his career i followed alexander rossi's career because he was the first ever rookie to win the indianapolis 500 during a fuel mileage race in at the 100th indianapolis 500 that was 2016 and he was a good looking guy so i was like okay i have two drivers I can root for. I'm going to start watching open wheel racing. And then when I started researching Alexander Rossi's career, I saw that he was going through the formula one ranks over in Europe before he came over to do IndyCar. And then that's what got me into, Oh, Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg were battling for the championship in 2016. And so that's what got me into the formula one side of everything. And now I just spend all my weekends watching racing 24 seven. The good thing or the beautiful thing about auto racing is that there's, it needs to be fueled by a rivalry of some sort. You can't just absolutely have, like if, if it's just Lewis Hamilton just pretty much dominating the sport, it's like, okay, I'm just going to bypass it. But unless there's some rivalry going on, the sport itself doesn't have the legs to stand on. That's why I think NASCAR has kind of fallen off. I feel like in recent years, besides the diehard fans like me, it's really hard to get the um, casual viewer interested in NASCAR nowadays because you don't have that rivalry. You don't have that, those two butting heads all the time like you did in the 80s and the 90s and even the early 2000s. I feel like the last really good rivalry they had was between like Brad Kozlowski and uh, Carl Edwards, I think at like 2010 or 2009 when they like couldn't stand each other and they were crashing and about killing each other. Now it's just you 
drivers get a little butt hurt, but you don't have them like going up and wanting to like beat each other's face in. Although everyone seems to want to pick a fight with Joey Logano, but that's a whole other piece. Oh, that's what's so funny. So my my oldest is a huge Joey Logano fan. And I actually like Joey Logano. I hate to admit it. Um, but he is a he is the most aggressive driver I've ever seen on the track. And then off the track, he's such a nice guy. Like he does all this charitable charitable work. He hangs out with his kids and he just seems like an all around, like good guy. But when he's on the track, he is the biggest a-hole imaginable. And yeah, like Kyle Busch hates him. Denny hates him. Martin Truex hates him for good reason, because Joey punted him at Martinsville four years ago when Joey or three years ago when Joey won the championship. So Joey does have a lot of drivers that hate him on the track, but I feel like a lot of people respect him off the track. But my nine-year-old loves, loves Joey. I figured there would be more fans of like Travis Pastrana, but because I remember Travis when he was really young was doing a lot of BMX things. He basically started expanding towards all these different motorsports. It was like this this kid was a wonderkind, uh, a phenomenon because I remember him doing BMX, and the whole thing was that they weren't sure if he was going to be staying with Monster. Um, I think Monster was the company that he was under for a period of time or changing to Red Bull. So there was a talking a lot about the financial stuff, but he just basically just said, I'm going to do whatever I think it feels right. And just basically goes into all these different sports. And I don't know how dominant he is, but the fact that he's competitive in it and he has a, a, a love of it, I think brought in um, a newer or fresher blood into uh, more attention into these sports what is it that you were talking about rivalry? We're talking about rivalries. If you ask me what NASCAR was or what NASCAR is, I think Richard Petty, because I don't know why. I remember I remember the color scheme of his car. I remember the hat. That, that, that it's, it's a Stetson hat that he wears, right? I don't know the name of the hat. Mm-hmm. The, the, he wears his hat, beard, mustache, uh, beard with, with sunglasses. That's all I picture. This guy is- And his vest. It's like dark brown vest he always wears with his boots. And you always think STP number 43 with the blue, like the cotton candy blue with the really bright red. One of the most beautiful paint schemes in all of motorsports is that 43 for Richard Petty. It's like, I just wish, I don't know. NASCAR, I know, is a big sport, but I don't know how well they market themselves because you're saying- um, that that it's, it's a niche sport. And the only thing, if you go ask people in my neck of the woods, hey, do you watch NASCAR? Oh, no, all they do is drive around in an oval lap. The reason why I like Formula One is because for me, when you see Formula One, they got all these chicanes, they got all these turns and things like that. And there's so much strategy that you have to put in as to where you put your DRS, where you shift, where the um, how to be able to... Um, take uh, advantage of getting ahead of the other drivers. Whereas in NASCAR, all I know is slipstream, slipstream, slipstream. You want to be able to be behind the other driver and use that opportunity to be able to get in front of them without crashing. But you've actually been to these events. What is your typical racing weekend like when you go to uh, these events? So mine's a bit different compared to, I guess, the normal person my age, because I bring my whole family with me. I drag my kids with me because they really like racing. Um, So I don't really spend all day tailgating like I think a normal person or like an average person would, which I highly recommend. It's a good tailgating atmosphere like you would get at a football game. But how I would describe racing to people as to why they should be interested in it 
is because of the race weekend itself. What other sport are you going to get with all your top 40? Cause there's 40 drivers in the top series of NASCAR, the best 40 drivers in that specific for the U S basically where, what other sport are you going to get the top 40 in whatever sport that is on the track doing that sport at the exact same time. And it actually matters. It's not like the pro bowl where you pull all the best players in for a game that doesn't really matter. And you're just there to, you know, kind of see your player, you know, half asset, basically these drivers are going 110% every single weekend for that championship for that nice paycheck that they get. Um, you also get a sensory overload when it comes to the smell of the race cars, the, the smell of the gas, the smell of the burnt rubber, especially when they crash in front of you. So I was fortunate enough to have a car crash in front of me in the fall of 2008 at Kansas. And some, some of the, uh, rubber from the tire came up and actually went all over our clothing. We were 20 rows up and that was an experience I've never had before. Like the rubber actually falling off the tire, coming up into the stands and like landing in your lap. I thought it was freaking awesome. And it's so loud. You have to wear, I highly recommend ear pro. I don't know how people do don't do headphones or anything like that because it is so loud and just the, just that smell, the, the sense of the cars just whooshing by you so loud with all that horsepower. It's just, it's just a very, it's a very big sensory overload that like another sport can't really give you. And there's action all over the place. When you see it on TV, they really focus in on either the leaders or there's like a close battle for whatever place. When you're at the track, you can see everything going on depending on wherever, if you're in turn one, turn four, front stretch, back stretch, whatever, you can see the entire race going on. You can follow a car going around at whatever point in time. And you can just focus in on that, whatever car, rather than whatever TV is trying to show you because TV can't show you everything all at once. You can rent scanners, which is what I do. I rent through racing electronics. So you have access to basically the head coach or the crew chief for your NASCAR team, talking to the driver during the entire race, you get their entire playbook. You get the spotter that's up on top of the grandstands telling the driver where to go, how many cars back, how many cars clear he is, what lane he needs to run, what lane the leaders are running, how much fuel does he have left in his car? Um, you don't get that in any other sport. You can't hear that constant communication, like in real time as to what the driver's experiencing in his car, what the crew chief or his head coach is telling him to do, what strategy they need to be on. So when it comes to NASCAR compared to Formula One, their strategies are based on fuel mileage and tire wear. Formula One relies heavily on tire wear because they, they don't fuel cars anymore because it's too dangerous. They haven't really figured out a way to implement that again. IndyCar has, but it's still pretty dangerous. Like they shoot the water when they're doing the pit stop and off they go. With Formula One, they don't, they don't feel the car at all. So that's taken out a different level of strategy compared to NASCAR. NASCAR still has that tire wear, but not as much as... Formula One does because Formula One has those three different sets of tires. Plus, if it's wet weather intermediates, NASCAR only has that one specific tire that Goodyear has tested and they want to see that tire fall off. Um, but sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, depending on the track surface, depending on the temperature that day, how hard the person's running it. Um, so when it comes to strategy, that's what's different between NASCAR and Formula One. And then, yeah, because they don't have fuel gauges in the car. So they're basically the person on the spotter stand or um, in the crew chief in the pit box is trying to calculate doing some quick math as to how many miles they have left on that specific fuel run. And they, sometimes they run out of gas, sometimes they don't. So that's a good, a good strategic um, thing to monitor 
during whatever um, race you're watching. But another thing about NASCAR that I love during race weekend is that you can pay maybe 20 or $30 extra and you can go talk to your driver. You can't do that in football. You can't do that in the NBA. You can't just go up to LeBron and be like, Hey, LeBron, what's up? Let's talk for five minutes in NASCAR. You just pay a little bit extra and you get access to all 40 drivers. You can go into their garage stalls. You can watch them work on the car pre-race. You can get their autographs. You can talk to them. You can get whatever handouts. The pit crews will hand you lug nuts off the cars when they're doing their practice pit stops or whatever. You have all this, this unlimited access to the top performers in this sport. And it's just crazy how it's only a few dollars more compared to your very low price for a a ticket, like maybe 40 or 50 bucks for a ticket. Kids are even half off for a cup race. They get in free for the lower series, which is amazing. So going to a race is super cheap. You also get to bring in your, your own beverages compared to other places. You have to pay some (laughs) ungodly amount for beer (laughs) and water. You get to bring in whatever you want. Yeah. You can bring in whatever you want to a NASCAR race. As long as it's in a clear bag or a soft-sided cooler, they don't care. You can bring in 5 trillion cases of beer. They don't care. Just put it in a whatever bag and you're set. Save so much money. So you can just get hammered in the stands and have a good old time. So yeah, race weekends are awesome, but the best race I've been to, I've went to five races this year. I've went to the Indy 500. I've went to two NASCAR cup races at Nashville and at Bristol, one Xfinity race at Nashville and one of the superstar racing experience races at Nashville fairgrounds that, that series that Tony Stewart started, Mm -hmm. they kind of look like street stocks, but it's like Tony Stewart driving and Michael Waltrip and they had Bill Elliott, Chase Elliott. So like all the nostalgia from early nineties, NASCAR or wherever, like Helio even ran it for a little bit. And Willie T ribs and some other just random people um, were doing Tony Stewart's series. So that was really neat to watch. But um, I would say the Indy 500 is probably the coolest sporting event I've ever been to. Yeah, because just the pop and circumstance. It's like, yeah, it's it's the it's the biggest motorsports race in the entire world. You'll have Formula One drivers, for example, Fernando Alonso. He took off formula one so he could try to win the indy 500 and you can't you can't do formula one and do the indy 500 at the same time just logistically it's impossible because they're on the same day and with the indy 500 you have to basically prepare the entire month of may for practice for qualities all this other kind of stuff that if you were to take it seriously you have to leave an entire sport to run this one race that happens once a year because it's that prestigious. And Fernando Alonso took off Formula One. He didn't even qualify one year. He did. He got bumped on bump day. And then he finished like 17th the next year when he tried to run it. So he missed out on two years of Formula One to try to qualify and win this one race that he only got to run in once. It's just it's just insane that this is the history behind it. How welcoming is Formula One, not even Formula One, auto racing for women? Because I know there's a few women that have raced, um, but for the female fan, it feels like for racing in general is very has is very is very male centric. Is it very being you being a, a, a female fan? Is it very are they very open to female fans or, or is that something that you still find that there's some issues with misogyny perhaps, or that there's some issues with being acceptance of women being fans or even race racers. So I feel like it's gotten 
better. Um, it's taken a while to get to where it is now because of just the stigma of you're just like a pit road lizard. I don't know if you've ever heard that term no. where girls are only here so they could go sleep with the drivers. That's what they call like pit, pit road lizards. All the, all the ladies that wait for pit road for all the single bachelor drivers to try to get their number and all this kind of stuff. That was like a very stereotypical female race fan in the nineties and even the early two thousands that females were only in it to fuck the drivers. And it's, I think it's taken, um, I mean, I hate to admit this because I don't like her as a driver. Um, Danica Patrick, I feel like she is a huge groundbreaker when it comes to women in motorsports. Yeah. She wasn't the most successful. Um, and was she rushed to NASCAR from IndyCar? Yes. But I do yeah, feel I like she opened a lot of doors for, for the female fan to come and, you know, be, ex- be accepted. And the fact that she dated another driver in the series at the time, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. I felt that that even helped out like, oh, okay, she's, you know, she's not going to be the single on the prowl kind of lady. Like she has a very, you know, she's, she's grounded. She's taking this really seriously. Ricky's a cool guy. She seems really cool too. She has her own wine company. She's really into yoga. Um, I feel like just Danica herself helped open a lot of doors for more women to come into it. Not just for the fact that they want to be with the male drivers or think that they're very pretty, that females can actually do this too. And right now there's one girl, her name's Haley Deegan. She's in the camping world truck series. She is the daughter of Brian Deegan. Yes. I remember because he does a lot of um, stuff with ESPN's the dirt race series. And he's part of the, yeah, he does like the motorbike, like motocross. Yeah. And her brother's starting to do that too. Yeah. And I think he does. So she's just starting out. He does a lot of backflips and stuff like that on his motocross. Yeah. So she's also, I feel like helping it out because she is a very down to earth 19 year old woman. Um, and she's really talented. I think she's better than Danica was. So I feel like if she keeps going through the ranks and makes it to the cup series eventually, which I think is a very strong possibility if she keeps, keeps us up and takes it seriously and doesn't just rely on being a pretty lady and not the daughter of Brian Deegan. If she actually keeps trying at it, I feel like she can even open more doors and you'll see um, a lot more women are reporting in NASCAR doing commentating. Jamie Little was the first uh, female lead broadcaster for arca this year she did all the arca races on fox sports one which is incredible she's a really good reporter um yeah like you're seeing more more women not just being that aaron andrews character on the sideline you actually see women like in the press like in the press areas doing lead broadcasting being one that analysts to go to when it comes to getting the the expertise on whatever sport so as a as a fan, I feel like it's getting it's getting there to be a female interested in whatever racing series. I feel like I feel like you're we're getting to a place that it's not just about whatever sexual mm-hmm. thing we want to do with whatever person. Here's the one problem I had with Danica is that people don't realize there's 40 people that are competing. Danica's one out of 40. The odds of just any racer coming out on top, just being thrusted into, let's just say NASCAR, or being thrusted into this pool of people that are racing, it's very hard to even win a race. And the more she competed, the more people would sour on, oh, she's not going to make it, this and the other. It's like you fail to recognize 
there's she's not the only one that's not number one. There's uh, there's thirty nine other well, if you exclude her, there's thirty eight other racers that aren't number one. And when you're marketing this, when you have this huge marketing uh, um, strategy to be able to elevate her, it's difficult when you when you haven't really had success in that particular field. She's had success in indie racing, but the moment they thrusted her in there, it's like, okay, you're going to be the next Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods needed to get a couple of a couple of rounds in there to be able to be number one. And it's like they, they should have put her in the nationwide series at the time. And that's the problem. They threw her right into cup and she wasn't ready. And going from open wheel to NASCAR is so hard. I mean, look at Juan Pablo Montoya. Yep, he does. struggled with it. And I still think he had a decent NASCAR career. I thought he was severely underrated when it came to his performance in NASCAR. Everybody just knows him as the dude that crashed into a jet dryer and set the track on fire at the Daytona 500 that one year. But he was a phenomenal driver. And I feel like with Danica, if they would have just let her run in that nationwide, at the time, the nationwide series, I feel like she would have had way more success and she would have eased into it a little bit better. But the fact that she was the first female to win an IndyCar race when they raced in Japan, like that's a huge accomplishment. She was really good in IndyCar. She got third, I think, one year at one Indy 500. It's just, yeah, I just feel like they, they threw her into it too fast and it's just, yeah, people just don't understand how difficult it is. And even look now, look at Jimmy Johnson, my all-time favorite driver. He's now driving an IndyCar, and he's not doing what people would expect him to be. He's near the back because it's so hard, even though he's a seven-time champion in NASCAR and a stock car. Switching from that to an open-wheel car, it's, it's a completely different specialty. Are different. a completely the, different the thing to try to... Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. So of course he's going to struggle. Even a seven-time champ is going to struggle. So hopefully he does better because he's running the Indy 500 next year too, along with whatever street and road courses he does. But yeah, it's just it's just unfortunate that I just feel like yeah they just thrusted Danica into the spotlight because they needed somebody because I think they kind of saw that Dale Earnhardt Jr. you know the golden boy of NASCAR was starting to be at the tail end of his career and they needed somebody. They needed somebody to try to carry the sport and they kind of threw it all on Danica's shoulders and it didn't really work out as well as they, they wanted it to. And it's unfortunate for her that she basically took the brunt of it, but it's just, that's a problem with NASCAR is that there aren't those personalities that you could fall back on and you just threw it all on the, of course, they're going to throw it all on the female. Who and it's was, just unfortunate who that it didn't work racer, out. Who was the famous racer before her? I'm thinking that Sarah Fisher is that name sound familiar? I'm trying to remember the name of this. Yeah, she yeah, she did stuff. And then she she's involved with um the all-female team that drove in the Indy 500 this year. Do you think they'll eventually have two separate, you know, two separate leagues where it will be women drivers that eventually transition into into um mainstream? Or do you think it's just better that they tra- transition automatically into these other um into you know how you have the WNBA and the NBA. Do you think it's better to have two separate versions of them, or do you think they should? They're better off being um, inter, like you know, what's the word? Inter, not interleague. Tra- Basically, like co-eds in co-ed, a sense. Co-ed, yes. Yeah. So I just feel like there's not enough pool of drivers to pick from when it comes to females, at least over in the United States when it comes to um, NASCAR. 
but the W series seems to be working out really well when it comes to formula one. The problem is it just doesn't pay out enough points. So to get like a formula one super license, you have to get at least 40 points in a three-year span, 80 at whatever series, like in IndyCar, you have to finish first for the championship to get 40 points. And it pays out 30 for second and 20 for third for the W series. I think it's like 20, 15 and 10. So you have to just absolutely nail it. If you're in the W series to even get that formula one super license to even be considered for a spot in formula one, like Jamie Chadwick, I think she just won her second title for the W series, but she still doesn't have enough points to even be considered for a formula one ride because of the, the crazy requirements when it comes to a super license. But yeah, I think the problem with NASCAR is I feel like they have to, they, they have to keep everybody together just because the pool of drivers isn't, isn't that, that great when it comes to females coming up through the, through the ranks. And I, I know there's, there's a lot out there, but it's just, it's really expensive to try to be a race car driver these days. I think if they start, one of the things that, that struck with me last year was the, the Bubba Wallace incident with the noose and everything and seeing all these drivers come in support for him. And I think, I don't know, like it, it was a very beautiful touching moment. And I wish that gar- 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 it garners more support in with minorities in racing because this there's a there's a defined history of minorities in racing whether they come from you know south america right now they're they i saw on spanish television they're promoting the mexico grand prix which is this weekend and they were showing the one of the mexican drivers um i can't remember his name he's a really young guy checo yes. checo he was driving around you know making don't doing donuts and everything in the streets and, and promoting the sport and everything and if he he's talking about how he wants to be the win in his home country and everything and i think i i would love yeah i know you we were just discussing about the expansion of nas of that nascar of um formula one to 22 races but i think they're expanding more of the races within the united states rather than the world right I yeah. So right you- now, yeah. So right now there's just, as of this year, there was just the one at Coda, but next year they're going to have two, the one in Miami and then one at Coda. And then they're probably going to have a third in Vegas in 2023. And I wish they looked for other countries where to expand towards, because I think that's the thing that I love about formula one is the scenery. Sometimes, for example, you, you've talked about it on, on the, um, on, I think it was, I don't think it was midweek mentions. It was the, uh, Post post game, I think it was where you talked about. Um, God, I just remember Monaco. The view of the race, the field race, race field in Monaco is gorgeous. You got the Riviera, the French Riviera. There, you got the the race. I've actually tried to play it on the on uh, the uh, Formula One game. I can't make a turn in that. I just crash. Oh, it's impossible. That's why it's one of the worst tracks ever created. I know there's like the whole prestige about winning Monaco, but that track is just garbage when it comes to racing. You can't pass because it's so narrow. There's so many turns in there, and so narrow, as you said. It amazes me that it's still a course because I think. There's been it's all the money in Monaco. There. That's why but all the drivers beautiful. live there too. Oh, it's gorgeous. That's I yeah. Mean, that's why again, why why all the drivers live live there, and plus take, they get all those tax. They don't have to pay tax. Yeah, take a look at Abu Dhabi, the, the the race course in Abu Dhabi, and all these other courses. I mean, I wish NASCAR in a way had that 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 the beauty of some of these other places. But I understand that NASCAR is mostly within the United States, and I'm wondering 
What is it that NASCAR can learn from Formula One and what can Formula One learn from NASCAR? Because they, they're obviously two, they're competitors, but there's something that, that, few, that I feel that they should be doing to attract more people towards their races. It's not just, like I said, just racing in a oval or I guess a, something that looks like a barn, I guess. <laughs> Almost like an egg, a flattened egg at the bottom. But there's, there's such... I think it's I think it's incredible that they're expanding, but it's like there's something there that I'm wondering. What is it that it feels like this? The the youth it hasn't captured the youth yet, and there should be something that they should be doing to do so. So what I feel like NASCAR can learn from Formula One has to do with marketing. NASCAR has a huge marketing problem. For example, there is one race left for the championship. What the NASCAR social media pages were trying to market the past like couple weeks was the upcoming clash race at the LA Coliseum for next year. Like, dude, there's all there's a season still going on, and you have a really close battle between Kyle Larson and Denny Hamlin, and then you don't know who's going to get point who's going to point their way in when it comes to the Martinsville race this past weekend to get those final two slots for the for the final four. Mm-hmm. But yet, all they care about is just that new LA Coliseum race. That's not going to matter because all every nobody's driven on that track. It's not a track that exists right now. Everybody's just going to, you know, it's going to be a demolition derby when it comes to whatever cars are going to be out there. So I feel like formula one absolutely nails it when it comes to marketing and how they market their teams, their drivers, where they're going. It's very fan friendly. There's a lot of interaction between the teams on social media and your average casual friend. Fan, well, fan. For example, McLaren always does these uh, videos called McLaren Unbox, where they take you behind the scenes of whatever their race weekend is. They talk to Daniel Ricardo and Lando Norris and Zach Brown, the president. And there's just a lot of fan interaction. You could submit questions. They do a lot of trivia. They have contests to win all these gear and mem- memorabilia. Um, they really market how you know, sweet baby Lando is and how everybody loves Daniel Ricardo because he is just your, your, you know, your next door neighbor, very attractive man. And he is just like the nicest person on earth. Lando loves video games and goes on Mm -hmm. Twitch all the time. All the little, you know, all the teen girls and early 20 year olds love him. I follow him on Twitch. I watch him all the time when he does stream. So I feel like NASCAR really misses that when it comes to the marketing side and drive to survive, even though I do not like drive to survive, just the drive to survive fans of formula one. I respect the fact that they have grown the sport and they have been successful, even if it might not be 100% truthful, it is drama manipulated. And yes, they do cut up, uh, lines from other drivers and put them in a place where it doesn't that they didn't say that and they manufacture a little bit of drama between max and lewis and how they made it max public enemy number one in the first season when it came between max and daniel carter red bull yeah so that was a little bit manufactured nascar doesn't really have that drive to survive anything they were talking about doing it for the playoff drivers like the f- the final 10 drivers at whatever point in time but they nixed it they can't they postponed it till next year um so i feel like that's a huge missed opportunity to try to do the drive to survive for nascar or even for indycar i feel like that would really help both series out to take you behind the scenes of the drivers and the teams and 
get to know their personalities a little bit more because they do, they do seem a little bit cut and dry when it comes to the drive, at least the drivers in NASCAR, there isn't really, I mean, you have Kyle Busch, like he really gets everybody fired up, but that's really it. Like your champion Chase Elliott, he's a dud. I hate to say it, but his personality, like my phone has more personality than Chase Elliott and they don't know how to market that. You can't really market that because he doesn't say anything. A lot of the drivers just don't talk. He relies, but he's more known for his family history, Bill Elliott and, and so Oh forth. yeah. Everybody loves him because of Bill. Awesome Bill from Dawsonville. Yeah, so you so that's what it feels. It feels like NASCAR. The reason why NASCAR doesn't expand, in my opinion, is because it's so family centric. It leaves very little room for a new up and comer to come in and sort of blow up the scene. It, it, it's very difficult to be able. Absolutely, to nepotism is all about a NASCAR. That's they should change NASCAR to nepotism car because that's what it is. Like you don't see you you hardly see like the Chase Briscoes of the world who actually work their way up with no money, not having a family name tied into the sport, enter a contest, get win that contest with Michael Waltrip to go do like a test session with Michael Waltrip. And then that's how you're found. And that's how you're given a paycheck to try to, you know, become the next big thing in NASCAR. You don't see that anymore. It's all the, the Chase Elliott's, the, the Blaney's, the Burton's like that. That's all that NASCAR is now. It's these these drivers have made you know and rightfully so they've made a name for themselves in the sport but nascar is so expensive like it's not just going to the store and buying a basketball for 11 or 13 dollars you have to buy at whatever age as a teenager buy a, a midget sprint car for three hundred thousand dollars and that's how you try to make a name for yourself like yeah i can't afford that not a lot of people can afford that so it is it's like it's NASCAR is about family, but it's not necessarily in a, in a way which you'd want it to be. It does, it's, it's really hard to try to expand to get new names and new faces in the sport when it's just incredibly expensive and near impossible for your average person, regardless of their talent level, um, to succeed in the sport. You know, one thing that I saw that I was amazed by, and I never saw it ever again, I actually saw drift racing. Have you ever seen that before? It's it's no, I've never seen that. Tracks is literally a dirt path in Japan, and the the cars have to careen and then shoot forth. And it's I don't know. All I know is I saw once on on the racing race net. I think it was the channel or whatever Fox Sports Racing Channel was called at the time, and it was just two. I would say like sports sedans. They're going towards a corner. They're drifting and then they're shooting up, but you can't crash into each other. And then the inside, I think the outside car is the lead. And it was, it was just amazing, but I never saw it again. And I'm like, why isn't this stuff being promoted in any way? Even like the, the video game, the dirt video game series, the ESPN dirt video game series, you don't really find any of that really a lot of that available at all. And it's like, I wish they were, Dirt racing, I think, is is great because it's just mud and mix. It's just you you can see the oil flat like being thrown up in the air with the mud and the cars are just like it's almost like what is it like um, not roller derby. Um, you, you've mentioned it before, destruction derby. It's almost it's almost like at that very very premise where they just basically you know rub uh, what is it uh, rubbing is racing. It's very much like that, and I'm like. Yeah, I'm like, oh my god, this is. I wish this gets more attention, but it's so hard to be able to catch 
these programs. And but I will say, Formula One did it smart by having that that, that program on Netflix. I wish um, NASCAR did something like that, but instead of it being focused on the maybe the nationwide series, it could be on more towards the um, like the the truck series or even some of the other series that don't get as much of attention, and you can follow the careers of these athletes as they work their way up. Because it's almost like what is it, the um, the the one that they have for football? I forgot the name of it that they do for football on HBO. Hard knocks. Hard knocks. Yeah, hard knocks. Something like a hard knocks where you focus on one company. And you can gain more viewership. See what they're doing towards the communities. Um, the one beautiful thing that yeah, twenty three yeah, twenty three eleven's doing one. It's going to get released next year. Um, but they they had a crew follow them around for their first season. Um, the team with Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan and with Bubba Wallace as their driver. So that I think that'll be a fantastic watch as like something because when people think of NASCAR and they think of con when it comes to nascar they think of talladega nights and yes it's a funny movie but it's not accurate at all and it makes nascar kind of look stupid and every stereotype nascar imaginable is thrown into that that movie and i, I feel like they the, do need to show what nascar movie, actually is <laughs> and i hope days of thunder yes yeah. yes drive through it call drive through it drop the hammer but mm-hmm. uh well like we what you were saying with dirt so i started getting i feel like when it comes to dirt viewers, like world of outlaws, sprint cars on like speed 51. Um, when Kyle Larson got suspended, that's when I started watching it because that's all he could do was go and do his dirt racing. And he was just killing everybody. And cause he is, I to me, arguably he's the most talented driver on planet earth. And that's who I'm rooting for this weekend when it comes to the championship. So we'll see if it's a, a good, a good guess to see if he wins or not, depending on when this podcast comes out. But uh, yeah, I started watching Dirt whenever he got suspended, and he is so good at just slinging it around in those in those sprint cars. And I was reading an article in the Athletic just about how viewership when it comes to Speed Fifty One, watching the World of Outlaws, and going to races has like increased by like one hundred and thirty percent because of Kyle Larson. Yeah, the, the just the thing that I also like that during COVID, a lot of these racers would race with people that own their own um, sim rigs and things of that nature. And um, and they would basically, so you would see amateurs versus pros. I think that was a great idea. It doesn't have to be the physical machine, but the fact that you're having amateurs racing pros, you get to have that interaction, interaction with, with people that are watching it and they can stream it and watch it and, and be able to contact these, these people and be able to, that's, I think it, 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 there's so much potential for it, especially with more modern technology, that they, they just seem to let, let it go by the wayside. Yeah. So they were supposed to do the iRacing series again this year, like they did last year during COVID with NASCAR, but they only did three races because nobody was watching it because all the sports were back. So they weren't getting the viewership that they necessarily wanted. So they just nixed it. But I enjoyed the shit out of it. I'm a big Twitch watcher. I've been watching. Yes, I've been watching people on Twitch for years now. And one of the funniest parts of the the iRacing stuff was the IndyCar races because the IndyCar drivers, like there's like little groups or clicks within IndyCar and like one group hates this other group of drivers and they were going at it 
on the driver chats and stuff, which you don't get on TV. You really only get on Twitch where you can hear what's being said over, over the radios when it comes to the, just the shit talking back and forth. And it was so entertaining. And that's why I watch now, like Anthony Alfredo, he drives for front row motorsports in the cup series. He's on Twitch all the time and he drives on iRacing all the time. And depending on whatever level you are in iRacing, you can race against him at whatever series, mm, whenever he's on yeah. their racing, you can race Dale and Hart jr. Like Dale Hart jr. Is on there. He's one of the, um, one of the executives now for iRacing. You can race him. Kyle Bush sponsors the Monday night racing league, which is a lot of all the industry insiders in NASCAR that are big into iRacing, whether they're good or not, they do this re- league every Monday and it's really entertaining to watch. Like you'll see spotters, you'll see crew members, some drivers, um, some Twitch personalities. I think Tim Duggar, that country singer, does the races. Bernard Pollard, the football players in it. It's just a lot of random people. AJ McCarron does it every now and then. That the quarterback, well, former quarterback for Alabama. Mm-hmm. So it's just really entertaining. It's just a ma- like I wish it was more marketable because it is so much fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. it's not real racing, but it is entertaining as hell to watch. When you have all these athletes from different sports playing together and trash talking one another. It's like, give me more of that. Give me more. This is, this is the things that I, I wish, I wish garnered more attention because that, it, that fuels more people to maybe picking up the game, maybe picking up a, a racing wheel. Even you can get a racing wheel for fifty dollars. I mean, it's not the best one, but it gets you started. In, in, yeah, and all you got to do is pay that. for. Yeah, you just got to pay for a subscription. Yeah, you just pay for an iRacing subscription, ninety nine bucks a year. You get you a little wheel and pedals. You can even use a controller if you want to. I wouldn't recommend it, but uh, yeah, you can go out and race with these people that are known for their racing talents and you can do that through your computer and you can talk to them and you can like it just it feels like you're racing because you have tire fall off you have to do pit stops you can actually get force feedback like when you're getting close to the wall you're getting too close to the apron and all this other kind of stuff like it's a very accurate simulation yeah it's, it reminds me of the uh, what you know the man challenges that they have on ESPN and I just really wish they start they, they, yeah, I wish ESPN and uh, some of these other major channels, even though NBC Sports is gone, going by the wayside, that, that they, they, they brought more attention to these sports. I mean, if you're so sports-centric and you're trying to go bring more attention to um, the, these, these companies that you're, you're partnering with, bring more things that people can watch. Be able to have more events that, that, that you said. If you pay a few extra bucks when you go over to these racing events, you can actually meet the right the drivers themselves. I didn't know that. That's not something that I would be aware of because I've never been to a race. But that that alone makes me want to go to give something, uh, give it a shot. I, it just feels like the, the areas where they have some of these races are more are, are are not in the metropolitan areas, unfortunately, or, or on the east coast. Like Bristol, Bristol isn't like yeah. Like they, I'll I will give I will give NASCAR some credit that they have taken a chance and have uh, changed up their schedule the past few years. Well, one because they had to because of COVID, but four four or five years ago, you had two road courses. You had Watkins Glen and you had Sonoma, and that was it. And that's why the stereotype: oh, NASCAR drivers only turn left and they go in circles because that's all they did. But then they added the Charlotte Roval which is a road course mixed in with the oval. 
And now they're up to six road courses. They had seven last year because they couldn't drive it at auto club in California because of COVID that they drove it. They, they added the Daytona road course and the same one that the Rolex 24, all the IMSA cars do. So 20 some percent of their schedule now are road courses. And they're trying to look at going to a street course in Chicago in the next few years. They're trying it out on iRacing right now and hoping to do that by the year, I think 2024, they want to do a street course. And then they want to, like you said, they need to expand and maybe get into the Mexico city market, go back to Canada. They did the truck series races at most sport, but they haven't been able to go back because of COVID. Maybe they'll get up there. Maybe they'll go to Toronto like the Indy cars do mm-hmm. and do their street course. So I will give NASCAR some credit that they are getting out there, but they're not getting the word out there. And yeah, the predominantly they're mainly on the East coast when it comes to their tracks and whatever. But I do feel like they're, they're, they're trying now to diversify their schedule. And it's just a matter of like NASCAR owns half the tracks and Speedway Motorsports Incorporated SMI owns the other half. So if you take, one of the really boring mile and a half tracks that NASCAR is known for away. And you have, you have to replace it with something. So you have to take something away. And depending on who you're looking at, whether it's NASCAR SMI, they might not necessarily want to give up that track to replace it with something else. They, they just got rid of Kentucky. They just got rid of Chicagoland and they replaced it with another Atlanta race. And then they added Nashville super speedway. So I'll, I'll give them some credit that they are trying their best to get it out. But yeah, it is predominantly on the East coast when it comes to the, the traveling back and forth. Actually, they are going to the Northwest next year for the Xfinity series. Mm-hmm. So like their JV series, they're going to race in Portland, the racetrack that IndyCar does. So they're actually going to get a chance to revisit the Northwest market. But yeah, if you're say a, a Washington resident, your closest racetrack is either Vegas or LA or maybe even Sonoma. And that's only once a year. So your chances of getting to a track are very limited. You have to fly and pay some ridiculous cost to just get to a race. The racing itself is not expensive, but the travel is. So as long as NASCAR keeps this up and they get rid of going to the same old, same old places. And instead of visiting something twice, maybe take that one track that one race at that one track and move it somewhere else in a new market. I feel like they're kind of getting to that. So I just want to, I I hope they continue to do that. How often do you find yourself teaching people about racing? Like, because I picture, I know you were in the military. So I'm wondering if you were teaching people about what the, 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 camaraderie or the team workmanship or any like you're telling people teaching people they will catch you maybe watching if you had an opportunity to watch any races that you were telling them you know this is what what it is about racing that I love and and explaining it to people you know did you find yourself doing that at all I I wish I could say I did. The only time I would do is just the stereotypical useless sound montage of keeping your nose to the grindstone that these teams are at it 36 weekends a year. That's not a lot of time off. And in the military, you don't really have that much time off. Yeah, you'll get your occasional four-day weekend, but you are working your ass off that time you're there. So that's really the only time I've compared the two. I have never found anybody in the military that liked racing like I did. Everybody liked football or basketball or baseball or even hockey, but nobody gave like NASCAR 
a chance except for when it came around to the Coca-Cola 600 whenever I was at Fort Bragg because Fort Bragg would get tasked and they would spread it out to the units to go um, volunteer to work the Coca-Cola 600. So like all these military displays that you see at these races, it's because we're told to do it. They try to take volunteers first, but then they're like, oh no, we need all, we need 200 people. You, you, you so much for having a Memorial day weekend. You're going to go to Charlotte and stand out in 90 some degree weather in your uniform and get a lot of thank you for your services. Um, so that's really the only time that it came around because there was the very small chance you could, um, introduce the drivers, the driver intros, or you could ride in the truck or with them around the track, but that's only like what 40 people out of however many thousands of people that are on Fort Bragg get to do that. So that's the only time I've ever seen anybody care about racing is when that came around just to get that one chance to meet whatever famous driver at that that one point in time. What's on your, uh, let's just say racing, because it can be included any type of racing in there. What's on your racing bucket list that you want to experience? So... I've experienced the Indy 500 and I'm very happy to say I'm going again next year, but I'm sitting somewhere different. I'm sitting right along pit road and I'm so excited to get that experience because I was in turn four last year. So a bucket list for me is seeing the Indy 500, but like seeing the start finish line and seeing the winner come across because I would have absolutely died if I saw the finish this past year with Helio winning his fourth Indy 500. And if I were in that seat, so I kind of want to experience that again, especially the fact that my favorite driver ever, Jimmy Johnson is going to be racing in the Indy 500 and that very, very teeny tiny chance that he wins it. And I'd be there for that. Like that would, that, that would, I would die happy. If I died the next day, I would die a very happy person, but other races, um, I'd want to go to that. I haven't been to yet is the Daytona 500. I've never been there. I, I love the Daytona 500. I love the fact that NASCAR starts off their season with their biggest race of the year. Like you don't, you don't see that in any other sport. It's always, you know, the final, the final, whatever, like the Super Bowl or the last game of the world series, they always save it for last, but no NASCAR does it big. Very first race out of the gate is our most important race. All the pop and circumstance. It's the thing that everybody wants to win. If you ask a driver, would you rather have a championship or would you rather have a Daytona 500 win? They would take a Daytona 500 win every single time. And then when it comes to um, Formula One, let me think. I mean, of course, I'd want to go to Monaco just for the just to say that you've been to Monaco. But I would like to go to Silverstone. I think that course is really fun. And seeing Mercedes... It, on their home turf and with George Russell and Lewis Hamilton next year would be amazing. Just the the crowd, just the infectious crowd of having um, an English driver with an English team on your English track. Like that, that would be an amazing experience. See, my thought was in terms of bucket list with you that you'd want to ride the pace car at the Daytona 500. Oh, see, no, I, 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 motion sickness so (laughs) i would not survive in anything like that like i know better i would have to take dramamine i would have to wear the bracelets i don't know what happened to me i used to love like roller coasters and i'd wanted wanted to race when i was younger like be the the next danica patrick but i didn't have the stomach for it 
I just would always get sick. So I'm like, oh, can't do this. And oh, yeah, it costs a lot of money. That's another, you know, hindrance of my pace future car, NASCAR pace, career. I thought but the pace I, car drives like around 50 miles an hour just to loop around, take everyone, get everyone ready, and then just careens off the off the course and lets everyone. Oh, no, they go, they go fast. They go a lot faster than 50. But yeah, it would be cool to do that kind of thing. Or I guess in that sense, like wave the wave the green flag at the start for the Daytona 500 would be really cool. Be the person at the Indy 500 who hands the driver their milk bottle to drink and chug and dump all over themselves after they had won the Indy 500. Like that would be cool. Um, for Formula One, I, I don't know what I would want to be because the flag person stands back. So that's not very exciting. You don't want to be a marshal because of how dangerous it is. Plus, they don't get paid. So, yeah, for Formula A, it would just be, like, of course you'd want to meet the drivers. Like, that would be cool. But, um, like, meeting meeting Daniel Ricciardo would just make my world, too. Like, he's my, he's my Formula 1 driver. Like, through it all, through him leaving Red Bull because he didn't want to be second in command to Max. And then he, mm. you know, toughed it out at Renault. And then took a chance with McLaren. And now he's not doing so great with his McLaren car. And he's kind of putting all his eggs in the basket for the 2022 car. So, so we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, meeting, meeting him would be great. And just meeting Jimmy Johnson. I've never met Jimmy Johnson before. I've come really close to, um, like at driver intros at Kansas one year, like I was right where the drivers were getting off and some, some had interactions with you. Some didn't like, I got away from Kyle Bush because my daughter was wearing all Kyle Bush stuff. So he waved at her, but uh, <laughs> yeah, like just getting to me, I think getting to meet Jimmy Johnson or Jeff Gordon or Dale Earnhardt Jr. Like those, those Hendrick motorsports drivers from the, from the two thousands like that, that would be second. And then seeing Jimmy Johnson win the Indy 500 would probably be number one. I don't know why I just want to go to the Brickyard. I, 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 I just remember just, just the name of the race alone. It's like, all right, I just want to, I just want to go attend this race. You know, the beautiful thing about racing is you have so much, it's so rich in history. So not even, I know NASCAR started here in the United States because I think it was because it started, if I'm correct, it was because moonshine running, if I'm correct, is that, yeah, moonshine. So I'm from, yeah, like I'm from the greater Hickory area. So like 40 minutes down the road in good old Wilkes County, North Carolina. Um, that's basically where it all started with like Junior Johnson and all them. Um, just, yeah, running with their, with their moonshine away from the cops and trying to outrun each other and be like, oh, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. Let's, let's take this to an actual racing area. So then they went to Daytona on the beach and raced on the beach for a while. And then it just became a sport. And it's a hell of a sport and hell of a ride to watch. The thing that fascinates me is like Le Mans, the 24 hour run that they do. Uh, the, it, you have so much history with the Andretti's, the, the, the history of the, of the engines and stuff like that. I, it's, I, I wish there were a way to be able to infuse the love of history with, with making like this should be some sort of, an interactive way, I guess it's pretty much e-racing, where you get to learn the actual history and the evolution of racing. The, the cars that used to be, I mean, I grew up where, I, the reason why I love like racing vehicles is because it has toy truck. 
Like the house truck used to open it up and the back came with a little racing vehicle and stuff like that. I, I remember just my eyes lighting up at the toys and, and the racing vehicles. You have your Jeff Gordon car uh, right there with you. It's like I remember that they used to market it, market the sport so great. And it just feels like it's lacking something. Like I, I'm, I'm glad that they're, they're doing ideas like the, um, you know, driven to race that they're going to do it with NASCAR now. But it's like you should have thought of this a little while ago. This is something you, you want to be. Yeah, able the to only invest. thing they really had, they had something. They had something with it. I think like ten or fifteen years ago, but. It wasn't going in the direction NASCAR wanted because it was showing more of their extravagant lifestyles and that didn't really rub the blue collar fan the right way. So they kind of nixed that um, because people didn't want to hear how much money these drivers were making and, you know, their gaudy houses and Denny Hamlin with his helicopter pad in his backyard and his Daytona cars in his garage and he has a basketball court and he makes millions of dollars like nobody wanted to hear that so nascar kind of shut that down but then they realized oh look at formula one success with drive to survive maybe we should do something like that let's market our drivers a little bit better because they're they are they're duds they're not their personalities don't pop like how formula one markets their drivers to yeah but i think it's because it's sort of it's sort of like with as dan levitard shows often the quarterback speak they're pigeonholed to being just a face and not a personality at times because all their focus is on my focus is on racing 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 and you and sometimes you get to see a little bit of their family life if they are more open to it and they want to get the marketing right and they and the person has been successful but they don't show you I don't want to call it this way, but they don't show you like the losers' reactions, and then then how they're trying to bounce back the next week. They only focus on this guy won. Okay, great. That's all the attention we get. We're we're going on to the next race. They don't show you like what the, the things that like the strategy behind. Okay, so this is what I did wrong. You know, the, they show you the the people in the background because obviously the when I play even the Formula One game. They, they show you the strategies of what you do, the ways to improve your cars and all these different things. And it's that stuff that doesn't get a lot of attention. What do these drivers need to do or what do they work on? What are they working on other than racing? Um, what, what you know, it, it, there's a lot that, that gets involved. And unfortunately, unless you're very familiar with it, which you, you certainly are far more than I am proficient in this, that there's a lot of things that go that happen in the background that deserve the attention to show it's not just the racers that are, are behind this. It's as you said, it's the, the people that are up above looking at with their with their uh, binoculars, seeing any any openings that there could be in the way. And you know, I, there's something there that it, 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 it with the right audience it will click and it, it it's hopefully expanding now. And I really like it. I, I really enjoy seeing someone have a passion for a sport, especially a niche sport that hopefully will expand. And it is expanding in terms of racing, in terms of more races, but expand towards a more broad audience. You know, you like, look, the Mexico City uh, um, Formula One race this, this weekend is coming up. Imagine having a, a Formula, uh, a NASCAR race in Mexico City. That's the tension right there. I remember when I was uh, towards my latter years of high school, 
they were all these they started selling the jackets that the um that the racers wore with all the with all the um advertisements and stuff like that i, I don't see that anymore around my area anymore but that i, I have so, a jimmy johnson one but they're to hard so, to find yeah I they have used a jimmy to be johnson so fly. it's like why why are you guys not doing this anymore russell westbrook wore one to um a game one time he wore kyle bush's black m&m pit crew jacket so yeah. so people pay some attention to it but i feel like like what you're saying I feel like what NASCAR needs to bring in the casual fan is they need to show the main personalities more. And I feel like Formula One just absolutely nails that when it comes to Lewis and Max and Danny Rick and baby Lando and Sergio. And you like you, you find a driver and you go all in on that driver, all in on that team. And then that pulls that casual fan into learning more about the sport exactly. and the inner workings of the car and the pit crews and all that NASCAR doesn't even have that yet. And that's, I feel like if they would just showcase their drivers more. And I, I understand that it's really hard to do when it comes to the drivers, oh, not I wanting to lose a, their sponsorship. I got money. Even a because it's so much. It is so much of their livelihood is because of sponsorship. Look, like, look at look at Hendrick Motorsports right now. The They're Academy. having a huge crisis when it comes to Liberty. Yeah, like Liberty University is a main sponsor for William Byron, the 24 car. Rick Hendrick has to stick li with Liberty University even though they're going through a hellish investigation right now with all these sexual misconduct allegations for their university and how just how big of an asshole Jerry Falwell is. But they need that sponsorship money. It's the same thing with Formula One. Yeah, we're all about we, we race as one, but we're racing in countries with strong human rights violations because we care about money and it's rights out and away we go. So it's it's all about the money. And it's just it's so unfortunate. Yep. And it's so heavy in NASCAR. But it would be great if they do what they, you know, Red Bull has an academy for racing. I know that. You know, some of these places have an academy for racing. Maybe focus on, do a season on this particular academy and seeing, you know, like the people on the on the way up. So that way you go, oh, this season, so-and-so is going to be racing. I remember I saw them in the previous season of this and the other. It would be, I think that would be amazing. To, that's great marketing for NASCAR eventually because NASCAR, I'm more sure. So they have their Drive for Diversity program. They have one of the things that Kyle Larson has done as a result of him getting indefinitely suspended by using the N word and suffering all the consequences from getting fired and doing all that and realizing that he made an egregious mistake and that he was wrong and all that. He is now the face of the Youth Urban Racing League, which I think is in Philadelphia, like it's headquartered in Philadelphia. So it's about finding the youth out there, it's like get, pulling them in very unsafe neighborhoods getting them into sim racing so they'll go out do these after school programs get them with the eye get them in eye racing have them do that get proficient in that to try to work their way up through racing that way and finding internships or jobs as soon as they're done with schooling trying to get their way into nascar that way and kyle larson's been the head of that because it is focused on persons of color so he's been the head of that they have their drive for diversity programs. 2311 racing has their own diversity program that they give scholarships to that people can apply for, not just being a race car driver, being engineers and fabricators and 
analytics and stats and all that kind of stuff. So it's out there. It's just not like what you said, just the words not getting out and they're not focusing on that as much as they probably should, but it's out there because racing is expensive and not a lot of people can afford it. And that's really the only way you're going to start pulling people, more people and a more diverse group of people into the sport is if you make it more accessible to people who don't necessarily have the funds to be able to go out and buy a car and race at your local track or move to North Carolina, where basically you need to be in order to work your way up as a driver. You know, or we can figure out how to come up with uh, a anti-motion sickness thing for for Alice, so she can finally sit in the uh, pace car at the Daytona 500 and go. (laughs) I know, right? I know. Well, the prime age of a driver is 39, 39 years old. So I'm still, I'm still six years shy of my prime. I still have plenty of time. If I want to be the next Danica Patrick, I got six years to hit, to hit my prime and to get my motion sickness. In I was thinking about you being able to sit in the, in the pace car, but if you want to race, yeah, that's the perfect time because once you start getting your sim rig, they can, Hell, if I'm going to, if I'm going to at least get in the pace car, I'm hitting 200, I'm hitting 200 at Daytona. I'm hitting 240 at Indy. Let's go. So let me ask you this question then. What, since I know that you were in the military, what is your favorite flavor flavor MRE? I like the chicken pesto. That was my favorite because you always got the really good M&M candy with it too. Any of the pastas were good, but nothing with like fake meat or the biscuits and gravy, I think was the absolute worst. Like they had just started making breakfast ones when I got out and it was the grossest one ever. But yeah, the chicken pesto is on point or the uh, cheese tortellini. So you're from North Carolina then, right? If I'm correct? Yeah. So I've asked this from Yeti. I don't think we've done it with Streeter yet. So Yeti, uh, Will, which you know is um, Christy Yamaguchi main. Crispy. Yeah, yeah, crispy. What are your thoughts on South Carolina barbecue? I'll see. I I ride or die with uh, Western barbecue with tomato-based barbecue, vinegar-based can get the hell out of here and go to hell and go straight and say hi to our brawls for me. Like it, it is tomato-based or die. Like there's no other barbecue that should exist. Like Memphis barbecue, get the hell out of here. Texas barbecue, get the hell out of here. Even Kansas. Like I lived in Kansas for one year. Get the hell out of here. Tangy barbecue sauce. Not for me. Give me tomato-based Woodlands barbecue in Blowing Rock, North Carolina. Best barbecue on planet earth. Yeah, because <laughs> I thought I would get the reaction that usually Andrew Streeter says, fuck South Carolina barbecue, is what Streeter says. And then uh, and um, and um, Yeti Blanco's South Carolina barbecue exists. Let's see, I only identify Eastern and Western and Eastern can get the hell out of yeah, here. Yeah, they, they basically I'm a, they, I'm a western rider die. They rip apart they rip apart um uh vinegar-based bar- sauces anyway. So you're all Oh, it's disgusting. It's, it's, a solidarity. it's gross. It's, it's a an abomination. Although you, f- what, you, what f- you feed that to yourself your kids, you should call somebody should call child support services on you. Although it's, we'll start it's talking about worst. hush puppies and, and and all these I'm like, well what is your what is your 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 Talk to me about your favorite barbecue meal. He starts going into detail. He's like, I have to have hush puppies and vinegar-based coleslaw. It's all about the slaw. Like, 
I'm like, I need to move to North Carolina. That's what you uh, thought politics were dividing for people. Just ask people about barbecue, man. Oh, no. That's what I know because I heard someone talk about that one time. And I'm like, I didn't know they get they get down like that. It gets it can get downright feisty because, you know, Stephen Colbert always oh, talks yeah, about Oh, yeah. It's so- like Duke UNC fans. Yeah. It's like Duke all, UNC all fans, you can't stand each other. Same thing with Eastern Western barbecue. Like it is this. You're either here or you're here. There is no gray area <laughs> at all. There's no oh. NC State of barbecue. So who do you root for in your in, in terms of uh in terms of college basketball since you're from the Carolinas? So my brother and sister both graduated from UNC, so I'm a Duke fan. Ah. Uh. So you're pretty much. I am a ride or die Duke. Yeah. So I have, yeah, both of them went and have done way more successful things with their lives than me. One's a foot doctor and one's a, like a PICU nurse. And they both graduated from UNC and I was just a dummy in the military. Now I'm just a stay at home mom that wants to play video games all day. So they're big UNC fans. And I love JJ Redick. JJ Redick is my, was my favorite basketball player growing up. When I played basketball, I emulated his shooting style. I wanted to be just like him and hated by everybody. I loved it. I loved how he just was fueled by the hatred of everybody because he was just such a show off and he was really good at his craft. I remember him being big into poetry. And that's one of the things that ESPN often talked about him a lot with that he would write about his experiences yeah. and and that uh, he knew that he was hated, but he still didn't care because he was determined just to put it down people's throat <laughs> when he was playing. He was a he turned out to be a great basketball player. And you know, it's Duke, he could have been better. Yeah, he could have been better if Stan didn't ruin him. That's one thing I do not like about Stan Van Gundy. He crushed JJ Reddick during his prime years at Orlando. I was so happy whenever Stan drafted him because I grew up in North Carolina, but I initially lived in Orlando. Like that's where I was born. So I like was born into the Orlando magic fandom during like the Shaq and Penny years. So I was so happy when he got drafted to the magic and then he just sat on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. So he just sat on the bench or whatever and Stan didn't do shit with him. And I was so mad. I was so mad at Stan. I I'm still mad at him, even though I, I get down with some very classic lace potato chips, but, uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he ruined JJ. And I feel like JJ could have been a lot better. He he did have a good NBA career, and I'm absolutely heartbroken that it's over. But uh, I'm excited for his broadcasting and his analysis when he starts that, which I don't even know if he has started it because I haven't been paying any bit of attention to it. But uh, yeah, he's my absolute favorite player on in, in the NBA of all time and in college basketball. Well, Ali, um, I appreciate your time. I want to thank you for your service as well. Because we're releasing your episode on Veterans Day. So thank you for your service and your husband as well. I saw your your child in the background earlier before. So tell him, tell him I said hi. <laughs> yeah, he's being whiny. It's what the flu shots got him got him down pretty good. So he's just being a, a yeah, whiner. So I, kids, I, get your flu shots. I'm looking forward to seeing you become the next um, iRacing, iRacing um, let's just say queen. I don't know if we want to go. Clean. It's my it's my version of being road to pro because you can make six figures if you're the top of the top in iRacing. So oh, that I is know. my goal to make to at least get in the contender series eventually. Like these guys have been racing for years upon years upon years. Like the streamers I watch on Twitch have been racing for forever. And my goal is to race with them one day. 
I didn't say very well, but to hopefully be at least in their split. Never make bottom split, make top split. That is my goal. So eventually you'll be able to pass that along to your kids. And I can see your, your probably your son or your daughter start racing and you're going to modify the little, the little, um, what is it, cockpit for them. And they'll be racing alongside you. They'll be your partner. They'll be cutting off anyone that tries to overtake, overtake you, you see. Like, you know, like, yeah, they're going to have to get their own account, though. Yeah, they're going to have to get their own account because they're not driving down my safety rating or my I rating. That's all for me. <laughs> they're going to have to get their own rating. They'll help you win the Constructors Cup in I racing. That'll be yeah, awesome. they're not going to get the 17 X's and get DQ like everybody else. <laughs> but um, thank you so much for joining me. Um, unfortunately, Jeanette and John weren't able to be with us, but I'm just glad that you took the opportunity to come along and talk to us about, about auto racing. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And I love getting to talk racing any chance I get because I have nobody to talk it to with. So well, anytime you want to come I'm here anytime you have any questions. Anytime you want to come around and just talk about sports or anything you want, we're, that's what we're here for. Thank you so much. I'm Jose New York. She's Allie in North Carolina. Thank you for listening.